Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. What do you think 2020 looks like generally in terms of the pandemic? You, you mean you mean 2022? Oh, thanks. What did I say? 2020? You said 2020. <laughs> Jesus. I have flashbacks. <laughs> I'm Annie Reese. This is Politico Dispatch. And today you might be relieved to hear we are not going back to 2020. Just bill me for your mental health <laughs> expenses, please. Instead, healthcare reporter Adam Kankren, whose favorite holiday movie is... Die Hard. Die Hard. Easily. The only true Christmas movie. Is here to provide a 2021 healthcare news year in review. It's been a heck of a year. And break down where we've been and where we're going with the coronavirus pandemic. In one word. Okay, the one word is again, because I feel like we went through this last year, (laughs) and this was supposed to be different, and yet here we are again. You know, we have this new variant, Omicron, that is fueling uh, what looks like another surge of cases. Hospitalizations are going up. uh, Deaths are going up. People are having to kind of rethink how they live again, you know, whether they can travel for the holidays, whether they can see loved ones. Uh, how to protect themselves and the people around them. And you really just have to hope that we have the tools and that people take advantage of the tools enough to prevent us from having to go through this again and again and again. Yeah, I mean, it's just felt like whiplash. Absolutely. I mean, you know, every every three to six months, it just feels like, you know, we, we're, we're getting somewhere and then we're right back where we started. So one of the biggest developments in healthcare this year has been the mass rollout of the COVID vaccines. There are shots now for children ages 5 to 11. Adults are going back for their boosters. Can you give me a sense of the progress we've made and how far there is yet to go? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, and I joke about this year feeling a lot like last year, but the one major difference is the availability widespread availability of vaccines to help us, you know, hopefully Mm -hmm. at some point conquer this pandemic. I mean, if you think back to January, right, we were in the midst of a huge winter surge, right? Uh, We had really no kind of protection uh, against severe illness, against death from the virus. And the big question for the Biden administration coming in was, were they going to be able to ramp up this vaccine rollout to hundreds of millions Mm -hmm. of doses? And do it successfully and pull it off without a hitch and and get some kind of widespread availability and protection for people across the country. Um, And, you know, when I look back now, a lot of that has been pulled off and a lot of that has been pulled off well. I mean, at this point, there is no difficulty in getting a vaccine, right, in getting your children a vaccine, largely unless you have a toddler, Mm -hmm. and in getting your second shot, your third shot booster, so by that measure, we've done, you know, just a very good job in what is, you know, one of the biggest mobilizations probably since World War II of rolling out these vaccinations. Uh, yeah, at the same time, I mean, it's a little bit, you know, it's, it's a little bit disappointing at the end of the year to still be looking out there and saying the pandemic's not over yet. It's still affecting our day to day lives. So a lot good, but still a little, a little stubborn bad in there mixed in. 
Let's just stick on the stubborn bad front for a bit. Um, sure. You, you've written a lot this year about the political divide over vaccinations and this kind of idea of these you know, two Americas. We know that Republicans in the United States are 26 percentage points more likely to be unvaccinated than Democrats, which is you know, a wider gap than any of the ones found between different racial or ethnic groups or education levels, insurance status, age. Do you see any of those really hard lines that have solidified on vaccine softening. No, and and this is really maybe the most disappointing aspect of the year, right? If you think back even to the summer, we were a lot more unified politically on the value of vaccines. Mm. You know, you had Republicans and Democrats in Congress uh, vocally in favor of vaccines, encouraging people to go out and get them. And it was around late July, August, that things really started to to fall apart. You know, you had some very vocal personalities from the Unfox News elsewhere in the kind of conservative sphere start to sow some of these doubts about the effectiveness of the vaccines or about whether it was even worth getting them. And things just went downhill from there. And, and so now you have this really, really hardened political divide between mm-hmm a significant percentage of Republicans who are just holding out or don't trust the vaccines or you don't want to give Biden a win or just feel like, you know, I got COVID already. What's the point of of going and getting a vaccine because I already have the antibodies? And, and that that kind of misinformation and disinformation that it's spawned uh, and that it's given oxygen to has really been uh, become one of the biggest obstacles that we have as a country are going to have to try to overcome. Um, And it's difficult to see that divide easing anytime soon. Another sort of not quick fix problem, I mean, not that any of this is quick fix, but um, is the healthcare system. You know, the past couple of years have put enormous strain on the healthcare system and on hospitals. Um, You've written about how, you know, hospitals are dealing with a huge wave of labor turmoil, nearly unprecedented levels of resignations. Um, Many hospitals are sort of running out of doctors and nurses. And looking ahead to 2022, that's not something that's going to, that's not a quick fix. No, not at all. And, and I mean, if there's a silver lining here, it's that, you know, the pandemic has really given us an opportunity to rethink how things should work and how people should work, right? Um, mm-hmm. Even even broader than healthcare, right? How we want to manage our day-to-day, how we want our relationships to be to our professions, to our employment, and in the healthcare sphere in particular, that's, that's, it's crucial because you have nurses and doctors, uh, hospital administrators, people in nursing homes um, who for now two years, more than going on three years, have been dealing with this crisis every, every day. Um, and there needs to be, you would hope that there will be a rethinking of how we structure our healthcare system to deal with these crises so that you just don't have the entire industry, you don't have the workforce being overwhelmed and overloaded. That said, that that rethinking actually has to happen, and it has to happen in a way where once the pandemic does ease, everybody just doesn't say, well, that's done, let's move on and not learn anything. There's got to be some kind of reevaluation at the end of the day about how we go about preparing for the next pandemic. I'm glad you brought that up because that sort of like rethinking and whether or not people have been held accountable or how we put different systems in place. In November, the former FDA commissioner was called 
for questioning. And now nearly two years into the pandemic, there's this new bill being introduced by Senators Feinstein, Marshall, Gillibrand and Ernst. So two Democrats, two Republicans to create a 9-11 style commission, basically doing this full-blown investigation of U.S. preparedness, response and recovery. Sort of the bottom line is like so that we're prepared for the next one. There's no guarantee that that's necessarily going to happen. But what do you think about the accountability among officials with all that's happened and this kind of emphasis right now on looking at the past to better understand where we go? It's certainly a worthwhile exercise in the same way as, you know, the exercise was worthwhile in looking back and examining 9-11 and where things went wrong and what signals we missed. You know, if you talk to anybody in the healthcare world, any healthcare experts, right, they'll say, one, yes, COVID came out of nowhere. We, you know, how could you predict it? But at the same time, our public health system was not built for it. It had been allowed to you know, just kind of fall apart over the years with not nearly enough investment. And Mm -hmm. the kind of thing that you're talking about, that kind of bipartisan commission that really takes a straightforward and honest look at where things went wrong and what weaknesses need to be shored up, that, I think if you talk to health advocates and health experts, is the kind of thing that they're thinking about. The fear always, and I think we've seen it already, um, is, you know, where politics comes in here and, and where yeah. <laughs> yeah where covid becomes kind of the next political cudgel right so we've yeah. already seen you know democrats have in the house have been conducting uh, a months long investigation into the trump administration's covid response right and a lot went wrong there and i think there's a lot of justifiable desire to get to the bottom of what exactly happened over you know throughout 2020 i think the concern that you're starting to hear among health experts and even among democrats is if Republicans end up taking back control of the House in late 2022, suddenly you have all these committees that are going to start investigating the Biden administration's response, right? And again, both of those things, perfectly fine, but it depends on how you do them and whether it becomes more than just a political exercise, whether there's actual political will to taking a a kind of straightforward and honest look at where things need to be improved down the road. What do you think that 2022 looks like generally in terms of the pandemic? You know, there are still some vaccines and therapeutics on the horizon. But, you know, you mentioned at the top of this that, like, we're doing this again. And right now it's the overall situation is not as promising as we might have hoped at this time last year. Yeah, it's certainly not the kind of situation that we envisioned back when the vaccines first rolled out of uh, the pandemic dissipating, you know, the virus not really circulating as much, cases going down and everybody kind of returning to what they remember as normal life, you know, circa 2019. And that certainly has not happened. And I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Even so, you know, I, I want to be hopeful. We have vaccines. They're widely available. Uh, we have booster shots, which seem to still protect pretty well against Omicron, the new variant, and, and, and hopefully anything else that emerges, we have these antiviral pills that are right around the corner. And what that will mean is psychologically, I feel like things will get a lot better because rather than when you get COVID, just having to kind of wait it out, you'll be able to go to the pharmacy or to your doctor and get a pill, you know, something to take and make it feel like you're actually actively fighting the virus. Um, and and I, my hope is that 
all of that combined with kind of learning more and more about how the virus behaves over time will allow us to get back to some kind of medium where we're able to live with COVID, even if it's not anywhere close to being gone altogether. There are obviously a number of concerns, though, and that's why, especially now as we're seeing cases go up uh, just kind of astronomically over the past couple of days, that make you really, really worried, right, that we'll be doing this for a long time. I mean, we still have, you know, 20, 25 percent of people who are pretty resistant to getting fully vaccinated. We have an even larger proportion who have not gotten their boosters yet, which is uh, suddenly very, very important. And the other thing that really, really gives me some pause is the global situation. So we are two shots in and a booster in the U.S., same in a lot of the the wealthier European countries and around the world. But when you look at the low-income and middle-income countries, so much of the populations there have not even gotten their first dose. They remain largely unvaccinated. And until we're able to address that disparity, you're going to have this continuing threat of new variants that emerge, potentially worse ones, potentially more contagious ones. And, and that is really what puts us at risk long term. You said your favorite holiday movie was Die Hard. <laughs> is there any way to relate our current situation to any plot point or character in Die Hard? Well, look, there have been how many diehards have there been now? There have been like seven, right? It's almost kind of like a Groundhog Day thing, right? Where you have John McClane in every movie, he's suddenly put back into the same crisis situation. And so, you know, the first couple years of the pandemic have felt a little bit like that, like Die Hard and Die Hard 2. I really hope we don't get into the sequels because one, they weren't as good as the original. And, and two, you know, it gets exhausting after a while. So uh, so that's my hope. That's that's the connection I can draw right there. What's yippee yay <laughs> Yeah. Adam Kankren, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks as always, Annie. Really appreciate it. Today's episode includes music composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you aren't already. And if you can, leave us a rating and review. It helps more people find the show. I'm Annie Reese. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>